Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. It's good to be with you all this morning. We are continuing in our series in Luke as we walk through God's plan to redeem, reconcile, and restore his creation back to himself and discovering our particular roles in that. This is what the story, the book, the letter of Luke is all about. And so I'm so happy that you continue to join us um, through this series. When I was younger, uh, several years ago and, and some of you might even say till today, I used to, I used to love pushing the limits. I used, I, growing up, I was never truly risk averse and I would always see what I could do to, to find the new adventure or go off into the new branch. In fact, growing up, my mom was always saying that, uh, hey, keep on climbing higher. Let's see how high we can get you into the trees. And that's how I grew up. Uh, instead of climbing on the monkey bars, I would stand on the monkey bars and walk across them instead of hanging by them. So I was always trying to find the next adventure. well, one year, uh, the end of my college career, I went on a road trip, a camping trip with a buddy down to North Carolina and I think we have a picture up here and this was a picture of me pushing the limits just a, a little bit further. See what happened was we got down, we did this hike, and we got down to this waterfall. And I'm looking at this waterfall, and I'm thinking to myself, I want to climb that. I want to climb that, and I'm going to jump off of it. And you can see it's about 36 feet, and so it's for some of you that's nothing, and for some of you that's like, holy cow, no way. And, well, I had no idea how to get up there. I saw the, the, the edge of the cliff there, and I'm like, well, there's got to be a way to put my hands and my feet in particular locations so that I could climb my way up and get to the top, as, I, as you can see here. And yeah, I was a little nervous, and yeah, I was a little uncertain, and, and some of you might be saying, yeah, you were a little stupid, too. Um, and the buddy I was with, he wanted nothing to do with it. I looked at him, I'm like, I'm going to do this. He's like, no, don't do this. Do not do this. And as I made my way up, uh, there was another gentleman there, and you could tell he was eyeing it himself, and and he's like, well, there's no way I'm going for it. He's like, but he helped me map out. You put your hand there and your feet there and you just climb your way up to, to the top. And eventually, I got, obviously, eventually I got there. And my buddy yells down. He's like, dude, there's only one way down. You got to jump, man. I'm like, I know. My buddy, though, he, he, stayed, at, he stayed on the ground. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, he was the smart one. He... He's looking at that saying, okay, there's, yeah, there's no reason why I'm going to put any risk involved in this. And he was probably right. But I'll tell you what, seven years ago I did that trip. Seven years ago I climbed up that waterfall and I jumped. And to this day it is one of the most exhilarating, one of the most freeing memories of my life. Jumping from that waterfall, landing in the water, there truly was nothing like it in my life before. I experienced something in that moment that I hadn't experienced before. And had I just stayed on the ground, had I just said, yeah, that looks great, 
but it's really not the smartest decision. It's really not the most logical. It's definitely not the safest. I would not have that memory today. As Christians, our faith, as cheesy as it may seem, our faith can be this waterfall. As Christians, we walk through our faith confused oftentimes about what we should feel or how we should experience life or uh, we hear about the goodness of God from the pulpit and we're like, well, I don't always feel exhilarated. I don't always feel free. I don't always feel like I'm on this thrill ride. I just, the days keep on coming and they keep on going and I don't really, what? As Christians, oftentimes we look at the side of our, of our faith. And we hear about the gloriousness of it, the excitement of it, the, the fantastic news, the good news. We're told that Jesus has this good news for us. And yet so often we walk through our days confused, doubtful, saying, no, I'm not going to approach that. It's almost better that I don't engage with my faith because then I would realize I don't know anything. I would be left more confused and doubtful than I did before. I'd be scared the entire time as I tried to go up this mountain of faith. And it just seems logical. It seems like the safer route. If we just stay, yes, I'm a Christian. I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll even attempt to do a Bible study here and there. But I'm not going to branch out too far into it. I'm not going to climb too high up that waterfall because I just... I'm uncertain of what will come. And we miss the exhilarating, the amazing, the most wonderful good news of all. You see, we trust God with our eternities. We say, yes, heaven is my end goal, and yes, my faith is in Jesus, and yes, I'm going to heaven someday. All the while we stay bunkered down on the ground just waiting for heaven to come. We're just going to stay bunkered down under the safe little bubble and, okay, heaven comes someday, come soon. I hope, I pray, heaven comes soon. But I believe Jesus wants so much more for us. I believe as we walk through the book of Luke, he is showing us that there is so much more available to us. But the fact is, we become limited Based off our human logic and understanding and, and ways of doing things, we get into these grooves and habits and concerns. Work, school, athletics, work, school, athletics, food, sleep. We, we get into these grooves, and they're not bad grooves. But because we're humans and we prioritize so often the urgent, we see our families and we see food and we see sleep and we see work, and these are the urgent things. The exhilarating aspect of our faith, well, that can wait. That can wait. We don't need to engage in that quite yet. That can wait. But friends, today, in the same way that I had the experience of jumping off this waterfall, I believe Jesus is calling us to take the risk. To take the risk to be able to experience that the good news of Jesus isn't just for heaven after death, but that the good news of Jesus is meant for today. And I hope that after we walk through today's scripture, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. As we walk through this scripture, I hope, I so hope that you'd be encouraged and exhorted to experience what it is to climb up this 
mountain of faith and to experience everything that Christ has for us. Because today's question is, how do we experience the good news of Jesus? Not simply in the future, not simply after death. How do we experience the good news of Jesus today? Because when we experience the good news of Jesus today, that becomes our greatest testimony to everybody around us. Imagine, imagine with me for a second, if we were a church that collectively, as a body, as a family, daily discovering the exhilaratingly good news of Jesus Christ instead of eh, just another day just another day. So this is what we're going to be learning about today. In Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, we see Jesus has gone now into the house of a Pharisee. And if you haven't been around in the last several weeks, we've learned the Pharisees are not friends of Jesus. The Pharisees do not want anything to do with Jesus. They want to find every fault possible with him. And yet Jesus takes the risk, not simply to demonstrate, but to teach to teach everybody who, are, who is listening, hey, there's something happening. There's something really, really cool about Jesus walking into enemy territory so that we can gain a lesson. So join me today in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus said to the host, to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." stop there for a second. I, I want to make this argument that for so many of us, we don't experience the good news of Jesus presently to its fullest capacity. And yes, some of us, are, we're walking in our faith and we have uh, a little bit of peace here and a little bit of comfort here and say, yeah, Jesus is good. God is good. Yeah. But we miss the fullest potential of it because there is there are certain fears in our life limiting us to, to well, I'm not going to go that far with it. I'm not going to risk too much with it. And when we decide not to risk too much, we then limit the potential of that good news. Well, as Jesus is meeting with the Pharisees and he's talking to them saying, hey, hey, when you have these big parties, these banquets, these feasts, stop inviting everybody that you're comfortable with. Stop inviting the people that you know are going to be able to repay you back and leave you in a comfortable situation. Instead, Invite the crippled, the poor, the blind. Now, it's interesting because Jesus, we'll see this again, he uses this analogy of the crippled, the poor, the blind. But we know, we know that Jesus isn't simply telling us, hey, go find everybody that has a disability or go find everybody that has these particular physical characteristics about them. No, he's not limiting it. What Jesus is saying is saying, hey, look, there's a certain group of people that you're very comfortable to be around. There is a certain group of people that you know when, when you invite them, they'll probably invite you back. That when you invite them or when you interact with them, even here at church, because let's be honest, how many of us are throwing big banquets on a frequent basis? We're not throwing big banquets. We're not having big feasts. 
But what Christ is saying is, look, when you come to these gatherings, these church Sundays, when you see someone out in Walmart or out on the town and you are mentally prepared just to be by yourself and just get through the day, hey, I know it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. I know it's a little nerve-wracking. And yeah, they may not be the best conversationalist. But friend, I'm telling you, go and interact with them. Give of yourself to this individual. Make them feel welcomed. Make them feel wanted. Make them feel that they are the most important person in your life. They may not be able to give you anything in return. They may just stare, stare at you and give you nothing. And it's a risk that you have to take. But even if they reject the taking, if they reject you talking with them, if, the re- if they reject you feeding into them, that's on them. The blessing is still yours. When we begin to learn what it is to risk, to give of ourselves, when we begin to learn what it is to give of ourselves, we begin to learn what it is to experience the good news of Jesus presently. But it's a risky situation. We look at it as if it's this waterfall that we have to climb up the edge of. And you're like, nope, nope, nope. We analyze all the risks. We're like, that's not the safest thing. It's actually better if I go down this aisle at Walmart because they're down that aisle. I'm going to avoid that person because, well, it's just not the safest for me right now. And Jesus is saying, stop that. Engage in the conversation. Engage in the interaction. Make this person feel. Make this person engage with the love that you have from Christ. And in doing so, you then begin to experience the blessing of the good news of Jesus. You know, here's the thing, friends, is that we are a church full of friends. Well, rather, we are a church full of friend groups. Now, friend groups are a beautiful thing. A church is doing something right when we have people walking in here and they find their group of people that they can do life with, that they feel comfortable with, that they feel safe with. It's a wonderful thing. But when we become a church that is isolated by friend groups, when we become a church that is isolated by, nope, I'm going to stay over here because these are my safe people, my people. They get me. They know me. I don't have to do anything that will make me embarrassed. These people understand. Then we become the very people that Jesus is saying, don't be like them. We think, we think that the comfort and the security of our friendships are the true blessing. And Jesus is saying, no, that's just an allusion to blessing. Look at what he says in in these first couple verses here. He's saying, look, don't just invite the people that you're comfortable with and that you're safe with and that are going to give you everything in return. That's not where the blessing is. The blessing is when you reach out, when you risk, when you give of yourself to an individual that, well, that doesn't seem the safest interaction. They can't possibly give you anything in return. But in doing so, you will be blessed. By only looking for those who make us comfortable who look like us, who talk like us. We stay at the foot of the waterfall with the rest of the world. Because that's what the rest of the world is doing. They're doing what makes a logical sense. They're doing what seems safe. They're doing what seems secure. And so when we, even here in this church, don't allow ourselves to give of ourselves to the risky situations, the risky encounters, the maybe awkward people, 
then we're no different than the rest of the world. And we will have missed out on the good news of Jesus today. Is the good news of Jesus today worth us climbing up the maybe seemingly dangerous waterfall so that we can then jump and feel the exhilaration of what it is to trust in Jesus? This is the good news, and this is the beginning of the good news. Christ is saying, look, it's risky, but I'm here with you during it. Unlike when I was climbing up that waterfall, I did not have a safety net beneath me. The fact remains that Christ is with us perpetually. He's with us every step of the way, every move that we make. We may have no idea what it is to climb up that waterfall of of that awkward encounter, but he is with us. We've learned this in the past few weeks walking through the book of Luke. He is with us. If we, though, are simply waiting to be blessed by someone else, then we too refuse to climb and jump off the waterfall. This message is not just for the quote-unquote popular groups. It's not just for those who have found your friend group, who found your safety net to branch out. This is for everybody, myself included. If you are here and you feel isolated, you feel not a part of a community, if you don't feel like you've made that interaction, my encouragement to you is, Go be the very thing that you wish someone was to you. Go be the very person you wish interacted with you. Find the person that, well, that's a little scary to talk with them. That's a little risky to engage with them. Friends, if we feel isolated and we simply wait for people to come to us, then again, we're no different than the people we have an issue with. We're just not apart with them. We have an issue with them being in a friend group and not inviting us, but all the while we're actually not engaging with anyone else around us because we're just waiting here. Thus making ourselves no different than the group of friends that we're upset with. Christ is saying, look, you want to experience the good news of who I am? Then you too, go engage, go give of yourself. Yeah, it's risky, it's awkward, but it's good. And in doing so, you will find blessing. You know, friends, Christ is rejected by more than he's accepted. But that doesn't stop him from engaging with each and every one of us. Friends, we become a church. We become a church that takes risk for the benefit of others. We must become a church that lives on mission inside of our own walls. We are a beautiful wonderful church that Christ is moving through, that the Holy Spirit is moving through. But let us not forget That as we continue to send people out, as we continue to send missionaries out, let us not forget to reach inside of our own walls. To find that person that maybe makes us a little uncomfortable. To engage with them. When we give of ourselves, we begin to experience the reward of climbing and jumping from the waterfall. We begin to experience the good news. Is it risky? Sure. But everything that Jesus does from the human logical point of view is a risk. And I go back to that same text I received several weeks ago. Let's have some guts. This is life with Jesus after all. Have some guts. This is life with Jesus after all. So we continue then. 
after we've given of ourselves to the awkward encounters, after we've given, let me just say this, can we just, can we all agree that when we walk inside this building, we forget names. We see the face, and we've probably met them 50 times, but we forget names. Can we, can we just agree for the next month or so, for per, per, perpetuity, that if you see someone, and, and, or if they see you, and they come up to you, and they come up to you and say, hey, have we met? And you're like, yeah, a dozen times for the last year. Can we just say there's going to be grace abounding? Because, let's be honest, one of the reasons that we don't engage with people is because we know we've met them, but we forget their names, and it's going to be too embarrassing for anybody to say, what's your name? And I'm going to tell you right now, I have zero recall. I have met probably all of you in this room at least once, and I could only tell you about 50% of the names. I hope you'll show me grace in that. And let it be known, half of you can't tell me the difference between me and my brother, so I, I deserve that, by the way. Thank you. Yes. For those of you who are new, he's my identical twin brother. So let's, when we give of ourselves, when we take that risk, we begin to experience the good news of God today. We continue into verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Real quickly, I want to stop here. Going back to the beginning discussion about what it is to experience heaven today, to experience the good news of Jesus today, this is, this is the clinching pin of my thesis, of my argument. Jesus is saying, here's this man who's saying, blessed is the one who's going, who will, who is going to eat in the kingdom of God. This man at the table, he's only thinking of the future. He's only thinking of what is yet to come. Blessed is this person who experiences the presence of God in this banquet, in this feast. And Jesus is like, hold up. One second. And I'm about to shift your mind. I'm about to change your world. And so Jesus begins with this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. But look what he says with this invitation. Come. For everything is now ready. The invitation is not at the end of our life. The invitation doesn't come simply when we die and we experience death. The invitation to experience the banquet, the feast, the good news of Jesus is today. The invitation has been sent out. And the date on that RSVP card, the RSVP card was yesterday, was today. It is happening right now in the present. Jesus is saying, look, look, you have this perspective that it's only based in the future, that this great banquet and this feast and the dwelling in the presence of God is only going to happen then. Jesus is like, no, it's now. It's now. But when we, when we continue in this piece of scripture, we're going to see that, hold on, hold on. Even though it's now, 
even though it's now, many of us will look at it as if it's a waterfall. A little dangerous. Too much risk. Unwilling to engage. So let's continue. Verse verse 18. After the invitations went out, and after he says, come for everything is now ready, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Each of these individuals, looking at the exhilarating, looking at the wonderful, looking at the most amazing waterfall of good news before them, a banquet, a feast, and each of them makes an excuse to keep on going. They say, I don't need this. There's something more urgent. There's something I need to tend to. Life is occurring. I'm not... I'm not free enough to experience this banquet. So often you and I, friends, we hear this good news. We know that if we engage with the good news, we can experience, we can experience something so wonderful. And yet so often we say, no, 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 no. Sometime, sometime down the road, I will. Sometime down the road, Friends, if I were to ask each of us today if we want to go to heaven when we die, we would all immediately, without hesitation, say yes. But when given the opportunity to feast in the presence of God today, Jesus shows that we often make excuses. This is where our understanding of the good news of Jesus needs to begin changing, needs to begin shifting. Our end goal, yes, is heaven. But this is where our understanding of heaven needs to change. I walk this through logically. Heaven is where God dwells. There's no reason that we want to go to heaven outside of being with God. Yes? Yes. Heaven is where God is. Well, we're told today that we can experience God, that we can experience a feast with God, that we can experience the presence of God in the now. All of a sudden, heaven just isn't post-death. Heaven begins in part today. But our excuses, they don't come out of a place of malintent. They come out of a place of misunderstanding. We see our circumstances and we're like, okay, hold on. Uh, These circumstances, once we deal with the circumstances before us, then we'll go to the feast. Once I tend to my field, once I tend to my my oxen, once I tend to uh, my, my new spouse, whatever it might be, once I tend to my children, once I get my eight hours of sleep, once I X, Y, Z, once I do all of this, then, then I will experience the feast of God. Friends, as we look at these excuses made by the individuals in this parable, we see, hey, there's a banquet here. God's inviting them to. Why don't they just go? We know that these excuses are ridiculous. That's what we're supposed to realize. We're supposed to like, wait a minute. That oxen, those oxen, they can wait. We don't need to test drive them now. 
That field, that field can take care of itself. It was there when you bought it. It will still be there in the 24 hours. Experience the feast. We know it's ridiculous, but I would then challenge us. How often, though, do we make similar excuses? We're told that there are ways that we can begin experiencing the great news, the feast of God, the presence of God today. And ah, no, I just don't got time. I just don't have that time right now. I can't do it. Again, not because, not because we're bad Christians, but because we simply don't understand. We don't understand that when we participate in the feast, that when we go towards this banquet, it then changes how we see the rest of our circumstances. Imagine, had these individuals gone to the banquet and then gone to the field, gone to the banquet, experienced the presence of God, then went and took care of the oxen. And that when the oxen fall sick or become lame or become injured, they had just walked out of the presence of God and they say, this was the greatest thing. Now these fallen circumstances, well, I can deal with this. My perspective on them has changed because I just spent a banquet, a feast with the good news of Jesus Christ. But we don't see it in this way. We don't see it in this light. We don't see the good news as the most urgent thing. We see everything else as the most urgent thing. And friends, this is how Satan would have us believe. He would have us believe that everything in our life is more urgent than growing in your faith. You've already prayed the prayer, so what else is needed? No. By simply praying a prayer and saying what else is needed, we, we, we stay bunkered down and, and we're offering no testimony of our lives to the world around us. We stay on the ground of the waterfall saying, no, it's too risky, it's too dangerous, it's not safe enough. And God's like, no, I am with you, experience me. And when you jump off the waterfall and you get back to the ground, you will see ground differently. Friends, as I walked out of that waterfall, my friend, yes, he thought I was crazy. He thought I was insane. But I walked away, and I'm like, that was amazing. Nothing will take that memory away because I made this decision. Yes, this is a worldly example. I'm not making the claim here for any of the kids. Don't do what I do, okay? Just, uh, if you're going to do something, experience climbing the waterfall of your faith, not climbing a waterfall without safety precautions. Please, disclaimer. Friends, when we take the opportunity to risk the urgent, to risk the urgency of our lives, to experience the presence of God, then the urgency of our life changes forever. All of a sudden, when the basement floods with three and a half inches of water, when we're saturated with the good news of Jesus, it's a flooded basement, and that stinks but I just spent time with God. And the urgency changes. The dire need changes. It doesn't change the circumstance. It doesn't change the fact that now we have to do all of the work to get the water out of the basement or to do whatever. But our perspective has changed. And real quickly, I want to finish with this. As we continue into verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. After everyone made an excuse, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. 
Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Friends, when we persistently deny the invitation of God, when we persistently deny spending time in the presence of God, when we don't give of ourselves, when we don't risk the urgent, we don't find the presence of God. But there will be those who are unexpected. There will be those who, when they aren't distracted by the busyness and the urgent, when they're not distracted by what seems unsafe or risky or awkward or what they're not fit for, when they're not distracted by all of this, the lame, the crippled, the blind, those who aren't distracted by the successes of the world, they will taste what it is to jump off the waterfall of God's goodness and their lives will be changed forever. Each and every day as they climb up the waterfall to experience the goodness of Jesus, they will never look at the ground the same again and their lives will be the testimony of the, to the world to say, look, yes, things are going to chaos, but my God is good and I've tasted him and I've experienced his presence and this is available to each of us. But when we reject him, day in, and day out, when we reject to spend time in his presence, we don't get to know our heavenly father. And if we don't get to know our heavenly father now, when it comes to the time of death, when it comes to the other side of eternity, we will not be ready to see our good, good God in his fullness. We will not be ready for it. And when it comes to the persistent rejection, God says, look, they, they will not get a taste of my presence. Friends, my, my goal today isn't to shame us into spending time with God. My goal today is to show you that there's a waterfall of good news each and every day available to you and to me. Will we give of ourselves? Will we look at others around us and say, yes, I want to engage with you so that you can know the love of Jesus Christ? Will we risk the urgent? And let me tell you, each of us have different things that are urgent in our lives. For me, I'm just going to be straight up, a little bit vulnerable, a little bit honest with you. I love sleep. I would sacrifice just about anything to sleep just 10 minutes more. Oftentimes, I run on limited time to spend my time with God because I want to sleep. Or because there's this many things to do after work. Or because my kids are an X, Y, or Z. Every excuse. But those excuses are no different than the excuses here in Scripture. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a banquet ready for you. Friends, we are told three explicit areas. Three explicit areas that we can discover the presence of God. When we give, risk, and find... One, the Bible. We are told, look, God has revealed himself here. God has revealed his characteristics, his very nature, through the Bible. Would you engage in the banquet through the Bible? We're told that as believers, each and every one of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God dwells in us. We are literally walking pieces of heaven, amen? We are walking pieces of heaven. So therefore, when we begin to engage with one another, when we're in community with one another, all of a sudden, we are experiencing the presence of God with each other. 
It's beautiful. It's amazing. This is why we have community groups. We have life groups. We have Bible studies. We have service opportunities. Not just because we want you and your time to take advantage of you, but because in doing so, you experience other Christians who have God with them. And it's good and it's amazing. And we experience the banquet of God's presence. Be in prayer. Be in prayer. Back and forth communication with God. Jesus teaches the the Lord's prayer to his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We begin by singing his praises. Then we say, God, this is what I need for today. Would you be my provider? And God, would you be my protector? Be in the Bible. Be with believers. Be in prayer. And so when we begin to give of ourselves, when we begin to risk the urgent for God, when we begin to redefine the urgent as the banquet, And when we begin to find the presence of God, we discover the good news of Jesus Christ today. Today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. You are good. You are holy. And we thank you. We sing your praises. Lord, would you go before us this week? Lord, would you remind us that there is a banquet each and every day for us to experience? And Lord, would you convict us when we make excuses? Lord, prod us, guide us into your word. Guide us into community with believers. Guide us, teach us how to pray to you, how to talk with you, how to be in relationship with you. And Lord, may we each find what it is to jump off the waterfall of your good news. May our lives be a testimony. May we be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, giving you all the praise all the glory forever and ever. And in Jesus' name we all declare, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.